0: money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. This week we'll be doing something a little different. It's a holiday edition, so we're not actually having any guests on today, but I'm just going to sit here and riff with my good pal co-host <laughs> Sheila Warren. We're going to look back on the year that was and and my god, what a year it was. <laughs> um, and I think actually, you know, then we're going to look forward to see what the, the next year holds. And I think like, you know, these classic holiday edition type exercises they can run the risk sometimes as being a little bit shallow because, of course, you know, you're trying to fill out the time and do something. And, and yeah, this is a convenient thing for us to do. We're recording this in the middle of December. So who knows what will happen between now and the end of December. But the reality is, as I said, this has really been a year. And, and I think it's going to be actually quite an interesting exercise, or at least a valuable exercise, Sheila, to look back on what's happened and take stock of it all. Yeah. Because without that, You get caught up in the day-to-day grind. We are recording this on Tuesday, December 13th, which is the same day of the hearings for SBF. Part uh, one of the hearings. Part one in in the House and Senate. And after the the evening before when he was arrested in the Bahamas. So, yeah, things are happening like wildfire. (laughs) But there's a big perspective.
1: I mean, it, you know, there, there are barriers and there are barriers, you know what I mean? And so uh, mm-hmm. this has been a heck of a heck of a season. I think if, if these hearings were a Twitter thread, it'd be one of those that was like one slash, you know what I mean? Because you don't really know yeah. how many they are yeah, going right. to be or what's yeah, yeah, going yeah, yeah. to emerge. Yeah, the drama of it all, you know, the, the yeah. dramatic people we've had. Oh, man. I mean, between, you know, you know I, one and then the Celsius thing and then, you know, oh, my goodness, it's just oh, been one incredible. thing to the next.
0: Just as a lighthearted point to start off here, because like you're thinking about the Twitter threads, and I'm thinking like, you know, there's been so much absolutely justified ire thrown at Sam Bankman-Fried. The mm-hmm. stories, the, the feelings, the anger, all of that. So none of this is to diminish any of that, but like, he actually, I think, introduced an entirely new content form <laughs> into, into Twitter <laughs> with his with that one moment when he just did the W, the letters, right? yeah, the, the letters. letters, and it oh, was to, everybody could then fill it out, and it was. It suddenly almost became this weird moment of like, what are we doing here? In fact, it was one of those moments when I, I think I realized that we're in some sort of twilight Zone experience right now. We're going to get back to the year it was, but like just to, just it's just very hard to ignore yeah. uh, the elephant in the room. I mean, what's been interesting is all of his appearances and everything else, all of this strange Twitter behavior it it just emphasized that this isn't just a crypto story, this is this strange moment in history when information and news and facts and truth are dealt with in this weird public environment. And we are processing things in real time with all these different multiple competing interests and sources throwing stuff at us. I think that's right. And
1: I've said a number of times in recent episodes, we can't separate from the context of Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, which I think is the only way to really frame that. And the idea that what we've taken for granted is open public discourse, it's always been contained in some ways, whether by an algorithm, whether by uh, different kinds of censorship, whether by preferences and predilections of a, a group of people. And all that is really relevant context as well. There have definitely been moments this year, Michael, for sure. I've said this to you, where. Where am I in the multiverse, and can I jump to a different string? (laughs) Can I, can I please jump to a different string of the multiverse because this one is is a little rough? It's just
0: been bizarre. The whole thing has been bizarre. But okay, let's let's step back. So we began the year, you know, well, I think it was November of of last year of 2021. Bitcoin hit its peak, right? It was sixty eight thousand dollars. You know, this that's that's how recent we were talking about a very different environment. You know, people were booking. Valuations. Let's talk about you know once again we're back to FTX. You know valuation at thirty five or thirty six billion dollars, whatever it was. Not long after that, um, it was a it, it was a moment of kind of like wow, crypto has arrived. The institutions are coming. Trad fires here. Everything was really different. And then the the thing that first pricked the bubble was nothing really. It was quite external to crypto. It was inflation. And the Fed just going, you know what, we can't actually abide this any longer, we're going to have to do something. And it started hiking rates. And all of a sudden, everything sort of everything fell, but crypto fell harder in many respects. Yeah,
1: you know, it's funny, because uh, CCI, the organization where I'm CEO put together a timeline of this year, and and it was initially intended to kind of show, oh, look at everything we've done. And you know, la la la, right? But we added in this tab on it, we call global events. And it includes things like exactly what you're talking about. What are the kind of macro influences that shape this? By the time this episode's live, that'll be available on our website and Twitter handle. But what I find so compelling about it is just, I've just clicked on and off and all over it the past couple of days, because yes, we are not immune as an ecosystem to the influences of the broader economy, of the broader culture by any stretch. And that has been a symbiotic influence to some extent. But if anything, I think of this year as the year that it became more and more clear how some parts of the cryptic system were completely tone-deaf to mm. the realities of the outside world, but others were also completely ignorant of the advantages and opportunities that technology, both the technical and financial innovations in this ecosystem, could play and how they could address a lot of problems. And, and nowhere do I think that became more obvious than around Ukraine and just the funding, mm-hmm. the crowdfunding of that, right? So I want to spend a little time on that because it was such a profound moment. To the point that, I mean, I testified in front of the Senate Ag Committee and I mentioned that, that came up in testimony. Like, it's such a mm-hmm. big deal because the ability of this asset to influence the course of wartime defense, like I could not have imagined November 2021 when all the media and everything was about the price of Bitcoin and everything being so high and number went up and all that. You know, how many months later? talking about this as a tool of of freedom from oppression, which is so much of what a lot of us have been talking about for a long time and in such a powerful way. So anyway, I think of this year as two things. It's the year of kind of the dissonance and and the disparities between how the crypto universe sees things and how maybe some other folks see things. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was also, if I may, the year of sociopathic young men, (laughs) because there were quite a few of them that caused tremendous damage. And I will tell you, I couldn't help but notice that there's a commonality around their persona (laughs) and around their grandiosity and their narcissism that I think is worthy of mention.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. No, look, I think that's, well, again, we'll get back to SPF in a moment. But I really do think that this takeaway about human failings and these trappings of desire and greed and the hero worship and sort of savior complex. All of that and the patriarchy associated with it, this is time to actually think about some of these anthropological issues about who we are and why we do this. You know, like, and that's what crypto doesn't do. It can all be diffused into a mathematical equation. It's beautiful and elegant and all the ugly humanity part of it doesn't become part of it. And I think actually, I I, I like that idea because that's what we're, we're trying to build a system that is immune from that. But what it bred was this unbelievable naivete yeah. that everything that was associated with that mathematical equation, all the human crap that's placed on top of it, was somehow also yeah. not going to fall for this because it was somehow being protected by you know, an immutable blockchain. And so that's what's really weird about it to me. I mean, I think it's all society, right? What crypto yeah. did to itself, uh, that is pouring money into these very dangerous, obviously opaque, completely mismanaged, centralized, untrustworthy, trusted institutions, was something that human beings have done you know, throughout the centuries, <laughs> and had yeah. all sorts of charlatans and thieves steal their things. So it's not in any way new, but I think the danger has been that we elevated the concept of decentralization- to such a point that it it obscured why we're here. It made us actually forget that this is the very reason why there's an interest in this technology is to stop people like Sam Bankman-Fried doing the things that people like Sam Bankman-Fried do. And I think we're all guilty of it, to be honest. I think, you know, I'm not saying I think we're all to varying degrees skeptics, and that's good, but none of us were asking the hard enough questions early yeah. on about these things, you know. So anyway. Uh, we keep reverting back to him, <laughs> but I think the Ukraine thing is is really interesting because two things: one, the reality of the external environment, as you say, impacting this sector, and and then how it responds to it. The fact that, that there was this opportunity, and you know, just listening today to some of the congressmen presenting and talking about you know what's crypto done, what's it achieved, and some sort of justified uh, skepticism about fourteen years of not getting anywhere. Hmm. But I think quite often that critique misses out on stories like Ukraine or, or mm-hmm. some of the stuff that you and I have documented on this show of yeah. uh, innovation in Africa and these communities that are spinning up really interesting new solutions at that yeah. very local level. So anyway, yeah, Ukraine, I think, you know, it's, it's a pity it's obscured by everything else, but there's something quite important about it.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, part of, I was thinking back on kind of when we started this, this podcast, right. That day in a, uh, 2020, we were seeing a pandemic and we were like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And huh. that first episode, I remember so vividly where we really were talking about, you know, money as a meme. And I think what's kind of interesting is watching, you know, crypto itself and decentralization and the meta on all this, right? Like become a meme in and of itself that is not often poked through and is kind of just landed as if, well, you say decentralization and throw that word down and suddenly you've solved all the world's problems, right. you know? Yeah. And as you and I well know, that, that's not the case, but to some extent it can be the case. And I think part of I don't think we set out to make a show that necessarily focused on hyper local kind of use cases and things like this, and got into you know builders and why they're motivated and all of that. But I think our show has become, I think, and I, I take a lot of pride in this. I know you do as well. You know, a place that folks come to because they can hear those stories, and those stories don't get surfaced in all of the kind of hype around again this like sociopathy, but also around the obsession with with the price, which I think was mm-hmm. as true in November 2021 as it is now when things are you know. the not where they were then so and i've always said as you know that like i find the price at least interesting aspect of all of this recognizing of course it's important and i don't discount the importance of it particularly to you know to some folks but you know it's it's certainly not why i'm here i know it's not why you're here and it's not why most folks that come on our show are here as well mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah i mean i think i think one of the things that I wanted to get into our conversation with interesting uh discussion with tyler cohen and simon johnson yeah in early December, was this idea that, that there are always flaws in the free market, partly because I think no, there's no such thing as a free market. Everything is biased and influenced. And therefore, we've often, through history, built sort of guardrails around certain things because the free market is supposed to be an efficient signaler of where capital should be allocated. It basically says, here's where you'll make your money. And, and in theory, you know, the rational market hypothesis, et cetera we all benefit because the price signals are telling you. And of course, we know this to be at least partly true because communism was such a disastrous failure for that reason. All all the price signals were wrong, right? But think about what the price signals were telling people, investors in the crypto space to do, right? I would love it if the price signals were saying, you know what, invest in developing uh, decentralized microgrids with Smart new yeah. funding mechanisms for communities in the developing world, or there's an interesting new DAO thing to invest in, which is going to spin up these really powerful new lending circles that people who are excluded from finance can build out, et cetera, et cetera. And this is not me just being sort of a lefty-leaning, liberal, liberally social, impacty kind of person. I'm literally thinking that these are real human use cases that are valuable yeah. as opposed to number go up. But the market signals were telling everybody. You know where the money is? The money is in trading and exchanges. So go yeah, off well, Sam Bankman-Fried and build yourself an FTX, you know, build yourself uh, an exchange, build yourself a lending system. That's where the money is. When in fact there was nothing there. It was number go up.
1: Yeah, but let's talk about how market signals have changed over time. Like how is the market signal in an environment where you've got, you know, social media, you've got the cult of personality, you've got the bravado, the narcissism, you know, all, all of this? As influences as really relevant data points. Whereas in the past, I don't know that it was the personality of, you know, Rockefeller that made this com- <laughs> that uh-huh. a compelling proposition to folks. I mean, I don't really know. Maybe he was some really that's dynamic something... guy. I don't really know. Yeah, you know, but like,
0: for those Barron, you know uh... what I mean?
1: In this environment, we've kind of the things that we use as signals are very different. And that's something I think that became really clear this year, you know, because a lot of fo- a lot of folks, a lot of smart folks, not like, you know, Rubes, if you will. Right. But a lot of very smart, smart people who generally, you know, I think pride themselves on making informed decisions were caught up in a lot of this stuff and really bought into it in a very big way. So not the first time, you know, but but I think you heard John Ray say he compared this to Ken Lay and said that was a group of folks who were highly sophisticated, extremely, you know, intelligent and really took tremendous steps to kind of hide what they were doing, be very thoughtful and careful, exploit structures. This was a group of kids who were just kind of like, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. the And idea Sequoia Capital that, and
0: BlackRock didn't yeah, see it. So the real interesting question there is, is really one to put to Sequoia and, and BlackRock. And yes, I think so. it speaks to partly what you're getting at here, which is what's happened since then- That's that's right. meant that we as a society, we who should be asking questions of these things are not asking those questions because number go up or cult of personality or whatever it is. There's some really important reflection that needs to happen here. Um, Like I think that this market signal stuff though is, it's really important because we need to grapple with what is the value of speculation, right? This is something that I have have tried to deal with because I think that I've looked at The critiques of the Lambos and everything else. And I think in my own way, I've tried to justify it. Like I am, I find it distasteful that the worst meme that emerged was the have fun staying poor meme. I hated that, right? Gross. I mean, you know, (laughs) these sorts of things just became really bad as an image for the sector because it just looked to this completely gauche, self interested tone deaf and gross. Yeah. It's just horrible. But, I would look at that and go, you know what, this is an unavoidable, inevitable outcome of the speculative fervor that inherently gets drawn to any important technology in these transformative moments. And I'd look back at history and I've written a number of these columns that are making this point, you know, that the Wild West had the similar experience, you know, the dot-com bubble, the tulip bubble, you you name it, any of these sort of moments. Mm -hmm. There was often something important happening underneath it that was transformative and and unfortunately and, and you know you sort of need this speculation it 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 drives capital capital gets formed it gets moved into these things and 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 you know new ideas emerge out of it
1: well you and know think- but let's let's pause on that a minute right because you said earlier which i agree with if only we were in a world in which you know super pro social activities and projects were the ones that drew the most funding right so whether it's the microgrid whether it's the The farmers' collective, whether it's the greening of the economy, whatever it is, right? If only those attracted, uh, and the reality is, I think we're assuming that speculation, the resignation, you know, around the inevitability of speculation presupposes that we are within a system where that is a necessary thing in order to attract capital because people invest in what they think is going to be pricey. But that's also because we have created a societal value around certain kinds of things that does not look through you know, to what that thing is actually doing in the real world. And that is something that, you know, again, I don't want to be naive about this, but I think we should call out the predicate assumption of, of, you know, where you're going with this, I think, which is that in an environment where that's not the case and where the Mm -hmm. ultimate social benefit of something is not really an evaluative criteria in any meaningful way, sadly, Mm -hmm. speculation is the way to kind of draw, you know, capital to projects. and, And the hope is that those projects Will have the ultimate social value. But to your point, generally there isn't smoke without fire. And so, you know, to the extent to which that capital is attracted, it's because there is some underlying thing that is exciting or innovative or, you know, whatever it is. And it's a matter of the manifestation of that. And some of the speculation that's done will be in the wrong thing or it'll be in the thing that's too early, perhaps, or whatnot. But ultimately, the theory is that what will prevail is something that is really strong and leverages that innovation at the time when it's baked enough, you know, for that to happen. But I don't know. I, it makes me a little sad yeah. to think that that's the perfect no. consumption, right?
0: It, it is. And I think this is what I'm trying to do here. I mean, I'm trying to grapple with my own, my, my yeah. own demons yeah. might be too strong a word, but I, I really, you know. We're I, having I, a joint therapy I, session.
1: I, I think we can say that. Okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you. We're just, we're just, each other rather than doing it on
1: the phone, we're doing it on own right. episode. It takes, but, you know. it takes the
0: two of us to get through this. It takes the two but, of us. But yeah, I, I'm trying to find out where is the right way to conceive of yeah. this. Because you know you, you spend so much time justifying your interest in this sector, when people outside of it look at this behavior and just say, "What? What is? How could you be?" How are you this?
1: thinking? Yeah, are, yeah.
0: You doing work with these people? I <laughs> Matt, Matt yep. Stoller has, has, you know, didn't want to come on on a podcast with me because he's warning me to stay away from these people. I'm like, like there's there's so many interesting people. I mean, some of the most interesting yeah. people I have ever met in my life are in crypto. Like there is just fascinating ideation going on. I think part of the problem is ideation. <laughs> like we really need actual products. And and I think this is also where we get to this problem because in all of these other moments, the sort of transformation that came from the technology happened quicker. And so yeah. you could sort of reconcile the moment of the bubble with yeah, the moment right. of the that's correction right. and then the subsequent reemergence of the technology. Yep. So, you know, the dot-com bubble is the classic example. All this money flooded into into internet Businesses and that funded the rollout of fiber optics, and it meant that there was money going into mobile mm-hmm. computing research and algorithmic search and all sorts of stuff. And out of that, we got Google and all these these mm-hmm. behemoths mm-hmm. that then ultimately created problems, but ultimately really did prove at least well, that there was the a
1: moment pre-problem yeah, when right? like there was actually a real <laughs>
0: thing that this was going to be a really important part of, it. and it is like yeah. the internet yeah. and, and its impact in our lives is a function of what happened because of the funding that was unleashed in that speculative moment, that's true. So I keep waiting for that to happen in blockchain. These three bubble periods we've gone through, after that, the dust will settle and the real things will emerge. And I think that's the problem. It's like, we we have spent so much time building the wrong things. We've built machines for a function that I'm now not convinced is necessarily doable. Like, I don't know whether the wholesale transformation of our financial system on the back of Crypto collateral, for example, right? Which actually, DeFi, I still think is a fascinating idea, but I'm not sure that we have or ever going to have the capability to actually install this because we now know what happens with leverage and excess in this environment. Yeah. Of course, DeFi is different from c5 but mm-hmm. I, I don't know how it scales. So the point is, like, what do we start to find the underlying value for the yields? Or the returns that the people expect in this space, and they're probably going to so, have to lower their yeah. expectations. But at yeah. least I'm going. What is it that's actually serving here, other, other than momentum and speculation?
1: This is Core something or, else uh, I think you and I have talked about, right? Is like I think we have to completely recast our expectations around scale, and I think hmm. scale, both in terms of return on investment, in returns of ROI and return to capital, but also scale in terms of you know number of users, like a lot. A lot of projects, if they truly are going to be hyper-local and decentralized, are going to have a use Mm. case that's relevant to a local community. And I personally think that's fantastic. And so something I often say is, I think I've said this many times on this show, is people will say to me, what are the use cases? And I'll say, well, you know, there's remittances. And I'll say, there's activists getting funded, you know, in, in environments where they can't safely use any sort of official system. And people are like, well, those are just edge cases. And I'm like, well, what? That doesn't mean they're not extremely important cases that had not been solved prior to the existence. To me, I'm like, I always get so confused by that because I'm like, if that is all that is done here, I actually feel like that's pretty damn great. Yeah, yeah. think that's everything. But the fact people just dismiss that goes back to the earlier point about you know, the social causes, the social impact of this is just not factored in. It's an externality, right? It's not factored into the return. And I find that I'm not 15 years old, so I'm not as naive as I used to be or idealistic, but it's still depressing because those are really important things.
0: I think I can try to take this into a positive direction because I think we tend to focus on what revolution, which is an overused word, obviously, but mm. I'm just going to go there. A new technology Man. is capable of producing. What we've seen through the internet is that we look at mainstream you know, US developed world users and we assume that that's where the first value is going to come from and we're going to we're going to revolutionize we're going to transform how we share information yeah. across you know that's what the internet did right yep but yeah. what if the real revolution is is literally to build these as you put hyper local community based things for the for the truly marginalized and that what happens is it's kind of like a revolution from without rather than from within mm-hmm. that we start to see whether it is activists in ukraine marginalized people in africa or iran or or highly creative otherwise unnoticed artists who are now able to fund their art through nfts these are the edge cases they're edge people and yet that's a sort of a source (laughs) of potential revolution because you're now pushing the power you're basically getting rid of the gatekeepers which i think is one of the greatest values of this because that means the input into the global economy and to the global culture is so much more diverse. That is truly revolutionary. It's just yes. that we in the mainstream, we, you know, we who are sitting here in our everyday existences aren't going to be participating in it. It's going to be some, somewhere else. And I'll just say one last point on this because it just it resonated with me when I spoke to our, our dear friend, Trisha Wang, who has mm-hmm. been on the, the show and, and you've worked with, and so have I through, through CoinDose. Tricia made a point. So she did a lot of work doing research into minority communities and they've got their That's black crypto, crypto point through Cradle. And these are stories of self-empowering individuals who are taking this technology. We had the Web3athon at coindesk That's that she, she led right. at consensus based on this same idea. These are people in communities who are taking these ideas, taking, and building very, you know, unique things that are unique to their interests. And she made this point, when I spoke to her the other day, that I thought was totally relevant: the risk we have right now with this whole FTX backlash is a classic white-centric patronizing view. We're yep. hearing it all the time. These poor minority communities, one of the congressmen who I didn't catch his name, maybe you know who he was, toward the end was talking about all the Latinos and all everyone who's been exploited by this, these horrible crypto people and they've gone in. And, you know, there are probably cases of people, there are, I'm sure. People there who are. have lost their money. But it's, it's both. But it's, it destroys the agency. It, it just breeds the myth of these powerless communities. When in fact, the whole point of this technology is to be empowering.
1: Yes. This ecosystem is about disempowerment and about every balance of power. That is fundamentally what it's about. And I think everything else is in secondary service to that concept. And the way you feel about crypto and and these assets is going to be largely predicated on how you feel about traditional financial institutions in the banking system. The way you feel about Web3 is going to be largely dependent on how you feel about Web2. And if Web2 and if banks work great for you, you're probably not going to really get it because it's not about you, you know, mm. at its fundamental premise. It's not to say you can't be included in it. And so, you know, I always said, I mean, well, first of all, to the term revolution, let's just remember that my last role, my title was global head of the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So, I mean, I'm right, right there with you, my friend. Hmm. <laughs> Woo, that's a name. <laughs> you know, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I've always seen my role or my unique contribution as being not to mainstream crypto, but to normalize it. And to say, you know, the use of it, the engagement with it, it doesn't make you a criminal. It doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make you crazy. It is a logical and and very normal response to conditions that exist in the outside ecosystem. Now, some of those are, to your point, speculation and trying to, you know, do that kind of thing. But others are about not having been included in these other systems or really seeing the problems of, you know, the Web2 kind of data capture sorts of environments and wanting to find a new way. And I don't think any of that makes people naive or crazy or even overly idealistic. I think that makes them quite practical, actually. And so that's how I see and why I remain committed to this ecosystem. So committed, I put my, you know, everything like to your point about, you know, I have a long history of this and that. Uh, as do you. And we've kind of relatively, I'm, if I may say, unlikely people to be champions for this industry and this ecosystem and this technology and all of this. But I think it's because we see beyond this number go up, number go down kind of hype cycle and, frankly, beyond some of these sociopaths. And we really see the potential for what this can be. But again, I think we have to recast what success looks like, you know, what scale looks like, what ROI looks like, and really recognize that what we're trying to do is empower people in. Hyperlocal ways, in many cases, to form new communities that orient along, you know, a more organic concept of of what drives them, and that is not going to scale in the same way that things have in the past. And I don't think that's a bad thing.
0: I love the fact this conversation didn't really quite go in the very sort of structured look back. And we were given an
1: assignment, and we didn't really do that.
0: (laughs) But I think this is, I think this is fine. I think this is actually a great. I think anything else. Twenty twenty two was a year of reflection. And summing it up and just literally having the reflection, I think, was made this really valuable. But we have to wrap this up in a a moment. But I I do think maybe we just lift from that point and just say, okay, the looking forward part of this, what's the likelihood? I mean, how possible is it that 2023, or maybe that's too wishful thinking, Mm -hmm. maybe 2024, is going to be a period in which we do start to focus and get back to these basics and care about these edge cases being real cases, and, and ultimately, therefore, revolutionary cases?
1: You know, I think it's actually quite likely, because I think that the more and more this gets talked about in a certain way in the traditional mainstream, the more room there is, I think, for it to locate in some of these faces that have continued to find it valuable. I mean, let me tell you, you know, folks in the parts of the world that have leaned into this heavily really do not care what the US media or frankly the US government says about it. And I and I say that recognizing, you know, the irony of my own role being very much to to try to bring the evidence to those institutions that this is actually a positive and pro-social net pro-social innovation, but that's not what they're looking at, right? They're like this works for me, it makes sense. Those use cases, quote unquote, you know, again, are not necessarily persuasive to people in power in in the west, not always, uh, to some they are, but not to all. And so uh, but I don't think that means that that's going to stop. I think it means that activity is going to continue and it's probably going to get uh, more and more robust because there'll be a need, I think, to pull kinds of some resources into some of those places. So for all those reasons and more, I don't think we've seen the end of the tumultuousness. You know, I do think we're going to see tremendous activity if we want to do some predictions. Uh, these are not hard predictions and these are kind of no brainer predictions. But, you know, the fallout of FTX and frankly, even going back to sort of Terra Luna. Uh, and the linkages that are alleged there, you know, with all of this Sam activity are going to have a a strong effect. We're going to see a number of, you know, hearings and other things that happen in the United States. I think net those will be productive because there are some low-hanging fruit types of things that regulation can really help, can help well some of the criticism. And I think that's a positive, but I think we have to be very careful that we don't cut off to exactly Patricia's point and to the point you made earlier. And, you know, something that I say with her all all the time is We don't want to cut off the opportunities in the United States or in any country that is going to regulate this for folks from these communities to engage with it. And that is the thing that I really worry about and find scary. But my hope is that, you know, a lot of us are working very hard to make sure that doesn't happen.
0: Well, yeah, Godspeed, because I think that is, to me, the biggest risk that we're just going to swing the pendulum way too far to the other side. And it's going to be, you know, one size fits all regulation that ultimately defaults to uh global regulation. Like it was clear in the hearings today that there's there are people very angry, potentially very angry with what they think might have been some wrongdoings in the Bahamas, not want to prejudge any of that, but we've talked about this, like, you know, the sad reality is that jurisdictions like the Bahamas, Barbados, uh, Bermuda, others that that saw an opportunity in this to sort of hit above their weight and participate in the innovation around this. Because they'd been excluded increasingly from financial flows, the fact that now there's just going to be a, you know what, you all have to beat to the drum of the United States and ultimately it is Washington and, and essentially New York through you know its banking centers who are going to force everybody into this one-size-fits-all approach. That's potentially damaging. That's I think the nightmare.
1: The That's the nightmare scenario.
0: The beauty of technology is that it, it will keep going and it will find ways around it. That is what it does. It survives regardless. I think the, the thing I like to say to people about Bitcoin is, you know, what's its greatest quality? Mm-hmm. And I say, it's that it can't be shut down. And they say, well, what can you do <laughs> with that? And I say, we don't quite know yet, but the fact that we have a human system that cannot be shut down is unbelievably profound like it is just yeah it's pretty profound can shut this thing down and yet it's not not actually natural it is actually a system that we've created so in that lies hope because it means that no matter what forces of power well intended or otherwise Mm -hmm. are created by regulators or bankers or anybody it 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 doesn't matter this thing will keep going (laughs) And and that creates you know, find a find
1: who needs to be found. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know, yeah. There. Look, of course, I I remain you know somewhat optimistic. I think a lot of the the reckoning and the the shouting and the pulpit pounding is going to happen. Is is healthy, frankly, right? It's good to get some of that out. It's good to draw the criticism. It's good to address it head on. I think you know some of it's fair. Some of it is absurd. But again, some of the hype is fair, and some of the hype is absurd. So it's it's kind of balanced on net, right? If you look at it that way, I do feel like. this situation with Sam is so extreme, just to go back to that, such an extreme case of an individual or small group of people or whatever it winds up being, act in particular ways that are, you know, highly (laughs) unusual, to say the least. So you have to kind of like take a longer view on some of these things. And again, by the time this airs, we're going to have, we're going to be, you know, through another round of hearings, if not another one after that. I think some of this is just healthy. It's, It's healthy to have these conversations out loud. It's healthy to to think about an ecosystem that's not attracting charlatans and scammers, which we know, you know, in the past has not been the case in this ecosystem, in addition to the the far more vast majority of excellent and, and conscientious builders. So, you know, if we stay a little longer in this market, I think it, it's going to be net positive over time because we're going to have more folks who are focusing on building, who are authentic, who are conscientious, who are focusing on it for the right reasons, not just make a quick buck or make, you know, make a ton of money. Which again, Mm -hmm. I don't fault. It's just, that's not, if that's your driving function, you have different priorities. So for all of that, more people like you and me, I guess, Michael, and the guests that we have on this show, who I think are all, is is a a general, we're all just thoughtful, thoughtful, you know, authentic, conscientious individuals. So yeah, you know, I don't know what the year will bring, but I, for one, am um, I'm excited about it, which might sound weird to say, because it's going to be exhausting, but I'm really excited about it. We've been waiting a little bit for kind of a crisis moment. And if this is the one, then you know, I think we're I think we're ready. And I think that we can get through this. So yeah. that's where I leave it. Look, it's been a,
0: a huge year for Coindesk. For me, you know, I think one of the most significant moments of my career, having us be so prominent, you know, AOC mentioning us today in the hearings. It's actually been really important for how we establish ourselves as as you know, we've always been, I believe, a trusted leading light in this space. But there's been a lot of cynicism around it because everybody was like worried about negative stories attacking their self-interested investments. And I think there's now a greater appreciation for the value of bringing transparency and accountability to mm-hmm. all the actors in this space. It's absolutely necessary. And journalism, notwithstanding, you know, what people think about the the wonders of the the Twitter mob to actually sort of bring its own form of transparency to things. You need professional media who are dedicated and don't have a horse in this race to be doing these things. So I'm excited because you know I'm looking forward to continuing this work and digging deeper and really trying to shape the, the narrative as it emerges to convene all the different stakeholders and try to be a sounding board and a forum, if you like, for how all of the different interested parties who want to get this technology right so that it serves a broader interest can come together and, and do so in a constructive way. So I think Money to Reimagine is a, is a big part of that.
1: Well, I guess we should probably end by just thanking all of our listeners and supporters and folks who have just helped us continue to do this, to tell these stories and to ask these questions and have these thoughtful conversations with you know such a, a wonderful roster of guests. It's truly really a privilege. And Michael, I love doing this with you and I love the folks we have on. And it's really wonderful to take a moment in my week to pause a bit and reflect on some of not just topics of our day, but also kind of these broader questions around why are we here? And what, what are we trying to do? And are we doing it? You know, or are we doing something else entirely? it's healthy introspection. It's also catharsis. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it. So thank okay. you, my friend. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a wild ride and couldn't have imagined doing it with anybody else. It's been a, It's been a joy. So yes, thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful new year. All the best of luck in it. Do come along. Continue to be with us on this ride. Lots and lots and lots more to come. So all the best. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Announcements by Adam B. Levine and our executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is by Shepard. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.